Amen. Lord, it truly is because of your love that we have life and life more abundant. And Lord, we ask as we go to your word right now that you would be our teacher. Father, that you would take this marred and imperfect vessel, that you might be glorified. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. If you're new here, I hope you feel welcomed and loved. And if you've been around forever, I still hope you feel welcomed and loved. Amen. It's great to be with God's people on the Lord's Day. Amen. All right. Hey, just on my heart, uh, without going into too many details, you know, there's in the churches here in Santa Cruz, there's just been a lot of uh, pastors and their churches are struggling. And now I just got word that another pastor here in town is going to be leaving. And, you know, we're all on the same team in Santa Cruz. Amen. We're all here trying to reach these people for the kingdom of God. And so we need to be praying not only for what God wants to do here at Calvary Chapel, but more importantly, what he wants to do in the church here in Santa Cruz. So just keep that in prayer. And, you know, I I talk with pastors often. They're struggling. Some of them have been here for years. Their churches are small. They're getting smaller. And it's just, you know, let's face it. Santa Cruz is not the most uh, Christ-centered place in the world. Amen. But you know what? our God is greater. And the best place to be is a place where it's darkest because that's where the light shines brightest. So let's be praying and let's be co-laboring with the other churches here in town. All right, James chapter one. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. So I bend over and pick up my notes. Um, Just by way of quick review, the letter was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. Same mom, different dad, right? We all know that. And James, we saw, started the letter with humility. He doesn't identify himself as the brother of Jesus Christ, but a bondservant. We see that he has the right heart and the right attitude about his Savior. He sees Jesus first and foremost as his Savior, his Lord, his God, and his King. James did not even get saved until after his brother, his Savior, Jesus, rose from the dead. He was raised in the same home with him, but he never came to know him as Savior until after he was risen. James is writing this letter to the first century church. There's persecution, and because of persecution, the church has been scattered throughout much of the known world, mainly in the Roman Empire that he's writing this letter. So this letter is not just to the Ephesian church or the Colossian church. It's to all the churches, and as he writes this letter, he's writing it to them to encourage them during times of trials and temptation and persecution. And you know what? We still need that encouragement today. Amen? Because we still go through trials and temptations and persecution. We talked about trials are those things that come from the Lord. The Lord allows those things to come into our life, but he allows them to come that his name might be glorified, that our, we might grow in our faith. Talked to two people just this morning who were in major car accidents in the last couple of weeks, but you know what? Our God is there in the midst of it, and he uses even that for his glory. Amen. Now, along with the trials that the Lord allows to come into our life, there's also the temptation from the enemy to draw us away from the Lord. The Lord never tempts us as we saw last week. He's not the author of temptation. His heart and desire is that we walk with him, and with temptation, he always makes the way of escape. He promises that though the enemy tempts us, he will never be able to tempt us beyond what we are able, but with temptation, he does indeed make that way of escape. 
He's writing this letter again in context to those who are in persecution, who fled from their families and homes, are going through incredible difficulty, and in the midst of it, he's encouraging them in the trial, let God be glorified. In temptation, you need to endure it by keeping your eyes on the Lord. Now, that brings us to this morning's text. And I titled the, the message this morning, True Religion. True religion. The word religion today has gotten a bad rap. Amen? I mean, even I, I have to confess to you, I'll say, I've said it, if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. I'm not religious, I just have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that, or used to, or still do, is not because the word religion in its original meaning was bad, but what it's come to mean today. When you think of the word religion today, what you think of today is a bunch of rules and stuffiness and self-righteousness. You know, a wheelbarrow full of rules with a black robe and heaven at the end. You know, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, walking with God. Whoa, what a joy, right? Everybody, everybody looks like they've been sucking on a lemon. I mean, that's just religion today. And we look at that and we think, man, I don't want religion. I don't want a bunch of rules and regulations. But guys, the word religion, as we will talk about, the original meaning of the word is awesome. It comes from a Latin word, relingara, which means to relink. Guys, it's relinking sinful man back to holy God. How many of us want that? Amen? And so we don't like the word religion, but guys, we need to have that intimate relationship. And so I want to talk to you as we look at the last, ha- last portion of James chapter 1 about what true religion is. God's definition, not man. And when we're walking with God, how should we respond? So the first thing we'll see is that true religion is seen in someone's life when they've truly been relinked to God. They lay aside wickedness and they receive the word. Guys, when we're being relinked to the Lord, we lay aside the wickedness of this world and we're relinked to God. And guys, you can't do one without the other. And we'll talk about that. Some of us, we're trying and we're striving to do better, but we'll never do better apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Number two, we'll see that true religion is... And when we walk in that true intimate fellowship with God, we're doers of the word, not hearers only. Number three, we'll have control over our tongues. And finally, the Bible's definition of pure and undefiled religion is helping the needy and keeping ourselves unstained from the world's corruption. So let's begin in verse 21, looking at true religion, God's definition, not man's, laying aside wickedness and receiving the word. And he says there in verse 21, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Therefore, therefore, in what? When we see therefore, we say, what's it there for? It always links back to the previous text. And what had he just been telling them? To endure temptation. He had just been encouraging them to be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath, that every good gift comes from above, that when we fall into temptation, temptation brings forth sin, sin brings forth death. So in light of all of those things, that the enemy tempts us, but God has good and perfect gifts for us, he says, therefore, in light of what I've just told you, here's how you're to respond. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Notice he doesn't say, lay aside 90% of the filthiness. Lay aside most of the filthiness. Well, lay aside some of it. Give it a shot, right? And that's not what it says. It says, lay aside all filthiness. Pastor Dave, I thought we were saved by grace. We are. Amen? But guess what? Grace, you've heard me say before, it's not faith or works or faith plus works. It's faith that works. Amen? Amen? 
And when we fall in love with the Lord, we ought to be grieved by sin. Guys, we ought to hate it. It ought to turn our stomachs. Now, does that mean we're going to stop sinning? What's the answer? No. But when we sin, as believers, it ought to break our heart. Amen? It ought to bring us to the end of ourselves. It ought to, and you've heard me say it many, many times, I'll say it again for those who are new. I believe one of the signs of spiritual maturity is the length of time between when we sin and how quickly we repent. And as we draw closer to the Lord, that time gets shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. To come get to the point where the word's not even out of your mouth and you're repenting already. That's the mark of someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And this exhortation here, as those who are to truly walk with God, remember he's saying this to those who are in the midst of persecution. Those who the world is attacking. Those who've had to leave their family and all their wealth and everything behind. And in the midst of all these trials, he's telling them, look, lay aside all the filthiness. Lay aside all the wickedness. Put it away from you. The word filthiness there is evil conduct. Things that are considered disgusting, offensive, or loathsome. He's exhorting them to truly have a pure mind. For one who walks in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit, purity is the result. Sin in any form is more offensive and loathsome than even the most heinous stench in our, in our nostrils physically. It should come to that place where it becomes so vile to us that we hate it. Guys, can I tell you that I am so grieved when I sin. Sometimes I just, it just, it, man, it just destroys me. Now, I want to say this at the same time. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So when we sin, we're grieved by our sin, but we should not be condemned. Because the enemy, what he loves to do is tempt you to sin, and then when you do, pounce on you for doing it. Right? Come sin, come sin. It's going to be great. Come sin, come sin. Let me tell you all about it. Come sin. We'll talk about it more in a minute. And he keeps drawing you, drawing you, drawing you. And then when you do it, he goes, what kind of Christian are you? Look at you. Sinner. You haven't changed one bit. Look at you. Right? Isn't that what he does? The Bible even tells us that he goes to the, to the Lord and says, there's one of yours. Oh, there's Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave. Look at him. Look what he just did. Let me play that back for you. There it is again. See? That's what the enemy does, right? And the Bible is very clear that as we walk with God, we are to lay aside all this evil conduct. Not come to the place where we start accepting it and saying that it's okay. Guys, it's not okay. Sin is not good. God loves us and sin separates us from him. And again, note the amount of wickedness. The word again for wickedness is depravity malignment, evil, unashamed practice of evil. And he says, the overflowing abundance of wickedness. You know that this is a time when wickedness was great upon the earth, but you know what? If you're here on Wednesday nights, we're going through Genesis, and you know what? The time of wickedness was great upon the earth, and guess what? In 2008, the time of wickedness is great upon the earth. Amen? But you know what? In the midst of it, our God is greater. So he's speaking to them of temptation in the midst of all this persecution. He's telling them that as the enemy is tempting them to turn their backs on God, to disregard the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to give themselves over to these fleshly desires, he's reminding them that this is wickedness. It will cause them harm. And he's saying, turn away from it. 
Back in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. The empty, the enemy, excuse me, tempts us and tries to draw us away. And when does he do it? When we are enticed by our own sinful desires. Guys, desire gives birth to sin. Sinful grown brings forth death. The enemy will always paint sin as immediate gratification that only a fool would miss out on. Satan's tricks haven't changed. 6,000 years ago, and I said 6,000, that's how many it was. 6,000 years ago, in the Garden of Eden, he showed up as a serpent and he told Eve, oh, if you eat of that fruit, you'll be like God. And he didn't, did he really say you couldn't have it? He always questions the word of God. Did God really say? And you know what? He didn't say to her, oh, by the way, eat that fruit, you'll be banished from the garden, you'll have pain in childbirth, everything on the planet will start to die, the animals will be eating each other, eventually it'll, it'll come to the place where there's a great flood upon the earth, and you know what? God will have to send his son to suffer and die to pay the price because you ate of that. He doesn't tell him that. And he doesn't tell you that either. He t- entices you with a temporary pleasure of sin and never tells you about the long-term consequences. Temptation to Eve was that she would be as wise as God, and the consequences were heavy. Today, some simple things that just came to mind as I was writing up my notes this morning. There was a temptation to maybe leave work early or take a long lunch. You know, they don't pay you enough anyway, right? So if you leave a little early, I mean, they kind of owe it to you. You work so hard, and taking a little bit longer lunch, you'll be more refreshed when you get back to work. You'll do a better job that way, you know? And the enemy loves to tell you about, but you know what? The result is you blow your testimony. You can lose the respect of your boss. You could lose your job. The enemy always plays up the temporary gratification. The temptation, stop off for a drink on the way home. You've had a tough day. It'll help you unwind. I've had Christians tell me that they smoke pot on a regular basis because it helps them unwind. And after all, didn't God grow it out of the ground? It's natural, right? You know what? So is mercury. Why don't you smoke some of that and see how that works out for you? Have a little uranium and see how that works out. What a foolish argument. But the enemy will always come to you and say, you know, you've had a long day. You need to relax a little bit. But here's the problem. That when you take drugs or you drink alcohol, your inhibitions are lowered. Isn't it interesting that alcohol is called spirits? We have the Holy Spirit. We don't need the spirits. Amen? But what happens is when you drink the spirits, your, the Holy Spirit conviction is lessened. That's why people drink a lot of alcohol when they want to meet people. No, I'm feeling loose, man. I can step out and talk to people. Here's the point. If you have to get lit to talk to people, you shouldn't be doing it. But here's the point. It's always the temptation of just, you need to relax. You need to... They don't show, you know, he doesn't show you your car wrapped around a tree on the way home because you're driving drunk. Are you killing somebody else? Are you getting a DUI and ending up in jail? Here's the point. I'm making this point that Satan always tempts you with the immediate gratification, but he never points out the long-term consequences of sin. God loves you. 
He's not a no-fun bummer God trying to keep you from fun. He's a loving Heavenly Father who wants to keep you from harm. And He gives us direction in His Word out of love for us. You're His kids. He knows what's best. Taxes are coming up. There's a temptation sometimes just to add a little bit to your taxes. Well, maybe I gave a little more than I really did. You know who's watching always? God is. Amen? Don't do that. Don't lie to cover up a mistake. Don't have a fr- guys, you should not have friend you should not have a friendship with a woman at work, period. Pastor Dave, that's a little radical, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. You're married, your wife, that's it. Game over. Amen. Now I'm not saying you don't say hi to the women at work, but don't have lunch with them, don't hang out with them, don't confide in them. You shouldn't be doing that. Same with the women. You should not have those kind of relationships with men at work. That is a tool the enemy will use to bring division in your marriage and eventually bring destruction to it. Do you understand that? We need to be on guard, amen? The enemy will tempt you, draw you away. It's amazing. You know, you're, you know it's funny that one guy not too long ago was telling me, you know, my wife, she doesn't dress up nicely anymore. And blah, blah. But then I go to work and my secretary is always dolled up. I'm like, yeah, your wife's home taking care of your kids. Secretary's, you know, not going to have any kids to take care of. Besides you, right? But here's the point. The point is this. The enemy wants to tempt us. He wants to draw us away. And he's saying in this verse, put that stuff away. Flee youthful lust. Don't play with it. Don't hold on to it. Don't be near it. Put it all away. He said, because he created us, because he loves us, because he died for us. The Bible tells us that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And it is a big deal to God when we sin. And he wants to keep us from the harm. And that's why he said in the previous verse, be slow to hear, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You know, God gave us two mouths and two ears and one mouth. We ought to use them proportionately. Amen. We ought to speak less and listen more. And we ought to specifically listen to the Lord more. And put away all this temptation. And then it says this. Lay aside all the filthiness and the overflow of wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Guys, here's the thing. Lay aside the evil conduct. Lay aside the unashamed practice of evil. The overflowing wickedness. But then it doesn't stop there. It's not just get rid of the wickedness, get rid of the bad behaviors. As believers, we are not to take sin lightly, we're to put it off, we're to give no room for the flesh. But then as we put it aside, we need to replace it with something else. Now what do we replace it with? We replace it, we put off the old man and we put on the new man. We don't just get rid of the old habits, we don't just flee the youthful lust, but after we fled the youthful lust, we are filled up with the word of God. What it says here in this verse is, put away the wickedness, put away the evil conduct, put away the filthiness, and then with meekness receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You know what? The wickedness will destroy you. The word of God will save you. Men fail. And a works-based Faith will always fail because it's not enough for man to try to walk away from his old life, to try to clean himself up. Man can only overcome his fleshly desires for so long. Why? Because the Bible says without him we can do nothing. 
You go out and you try to do it and you make a New Year's resolution. I'm not going to do that anymore. And I'm going to have some accountability. I'm not saying those things are wrong. But guys, unless the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of our lives, unless we open up the, the Word of God and allow Him to minister truth to us, we will go right back to that old sinful behavior again. That's why He says, put aside the filthiness and then with meekness, receive with meekness the Word of God. I love how we are to receive the word of God. Guys, we don't receive the word of God with an attitude. We're to receive the word of God with the gentleness of spirit, not doubting, disputing, or resisting, but fully surrendered to the Lord and to his word. The words gentleness and meekness are the opposite of being self-assertive. Meekness and gentleness is a work of the Holy Spirit, not the human will. It says in, in Galatians 5, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness. How are we to approach the word of God with meekness, with complete and total surrender? Guys, we do not go to the Bible trying to find a verse that will support our desire. We go to the word of God to allow it to change our desires, to change our will, to change our passions, to conform us into his image, to lay aside the filthiness, to lay aside the wickedness, and to humbly before him with a surrendered heart say, Lord, fill me instead with your word. Remove everything else and fill me with you. The only way we can lay aside the filthiness and walk in gentleness, again, especially as he's writing to those in the midst of persecution and trials and temptation, is to do so under the power of the Holy Spirit. With the seed of God's word implanted in our hearts, that's where the growth comes from. Please don't take these things wrong, but here's the point. A 12-step program won't deliver you. An organization won't deliver you. A religion won't deliver you. Answers are not better discipline. It's not more self-determination. It's the transforming work of God's word illuminated by the Holy Spirit that brings a man or a woman to the end of themselves, reveals their sin, their desperate need for a Savior, and then empowers them to walk in faithful obedience to the Lord. That's the answer, you guys. Amen? Now, I'm not saying that People haven't been touched in a 12-step program. I'm, I know they have. I'm not saying there aren't areas where God can use things. But guys, the answer is Jesus Christ. And whatever brings us to him is the answer. And so lay aside all this wickedness. Lay aside the filthiness. He's telling these guys in the midst of temptation. He builds them up. Encourages them to be built up in the most holy faith. The implanted word. Guys, you want to grow in your faith? The theme verse of Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz is Romans 10, 17, which says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how do we grow in our faith? We spend time in the word of God. The Romans, Romans 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Colossians 1 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them who are perishing foolishness, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. In 2 Timothy 3, it says, And from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. God's word is the source of faith, the source of wisdom, strength to walk in holiness, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Guys, we need to read our Bibles more. Amen? We need to read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? We need to crack that thing open, spend time in his presence. If we're going to lay aside the filthiness, we need to replace it with the word of God. 
As the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk in purity, in holiness before him, it's impossible apart from intimate fellowship with God. He speaks to us through his word. We speak to him through prayer. We need to enter into that kind of fellowship if we want to walk holy lives. Amen? So we see the first issue there is to lay aside the filthiness and instead be implanted with the word. Point number two of true religion is to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Look at verse 22. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. True true belief is made manifest by one's behavior. Anyone can say they believe in something. They can say it, but it's meaningless unless it changes the way they behave. Belief must impact behavior. If you really believe, not only have you heard the words, but you've seen it in your behavior. If someone says to you they believe something, you should hear it in their words and see it in their behavior. The same is true for us as Christians. Faith comes by hearing, but it must go beyond hearing to doing. He says that those who only hear the word, who think their head knowledge is enough, it says at the end of that verse, are deceiving themselves. There are so many today that are very filled up with a bunch of head knowledge, but you would never know they were saved by their actions. Can be very arrogant, self-righteous, or here's the other thing that is intriguing to me. Now, this is a few years old, but there was a Gallup poll that said 88% of all Americans claim to be Christians. Now, saying that they believe in God or calling themselves a Christian does not make it so. Amen? Because just to believe... By the way, I I believe in God. That's not good enough. Do you understand that? People say that often. Well, I believe in God. I'll do a funeral. Every funeral I've ever done, he believed in God. Every one of them. She believed in God every single time. Guys, it's not a belief that there is a God, but it's having intimate fellowship with him. Amen? Being adopted into his family, a child of the king. And if we truly are, we'll more than hear the word, we'll be doers of it. We'll hear his word and we'll respond to it. We'll walk in it. And sadly, what is happening in that day is there were so many, just like today, who heard the word but you would never know it by their actions. Claiming to believe is not good enough. And he says those who only hear are deceiving themselves. Guys, we can come week after week to church, hear the word taught, but never apply it to our lives. To hear, but not to do, is to deceive ourselves. A doer, the word doer, is a performer, one who takes what he or she has heard and then acts upon it. In ancient times, it was common for people to hear a teacher. But if you followed the teacher and tried to live by what he said, you were called a disciple of that teacher. The Bible says, Jesus said, his last words as he ascended into heaven to the apostles, to those who were following him, he said, go therefore into all the world and make what? Disciples of all nations. Guys, we are called not to be just converts, not just distant believers, not just dissenters to the truth, but disciples, followers, learners of Jesus Christ. That's who we are called to be. And the exhortation is here to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Guys, we can sit and listen to all the messages in the world, but our lives need to change. 
It is not enough to hear or to even say that we believe. The Bible says the demons believe and tremble, right? Belief is not enough. The fruit of true salvation is obedience. It says in Philippians, the things you have learned and received and heard and see in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. You can't just hear it. You can't just watch it. You must put it into practice. Again, after 90 plus verses in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. He's coming to the close of the greatest sermon ever preached. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's 100 verses long. Incredible. And Jesus is preaching this message. He comes to the end of it, end of it and this is what he says. Just seven or eight verses from the end. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Guys, it's not enough to say we believe. It's something entirely different to not just say we believe, but to live for him, to submit our lives completely to him. Pastor Dave, are you preaching works-based salvation? No. Guys, when we're saved, we will work. Amen? There will be a natural outpouring. Guys, you know what? I just try to put it in human terms. I, you know, when, when my wife and I had a child, or when my wife and I got engaged, I couldn't wait to tell everyone. Why? Because I love my wife. When we had our daughter, we had our sons, you know, I was waking people up in the middle of the night to let them know we've had our child. Why? Because I'm so excited because I love my child so much, I want to share it with everyone. How much more ought we to be excited about the relationship we have with the creator of the universe? We ought to be waking people up in the middle of the night to let them know that our God is faithful, amen? And then we need to go beyond just having this connotation of God, a belief that there is a God. Guys, doers of the word, not hearers only. We can hear and hear and hear and be puffed up and have a lot of head knowledge, but we need to start living for the Lord. And people should see Jesus in the way that we live. So 85, 88% of Americans say they're Christians, but how is that possible when the follow-up question finds out that less than 10% of Americans read their Bibles in a given week. More than 90% say they lie on a regular basis. The other 10% were lying. No, I don't know. We say we're a Christian nation and we kill millions of babies every single year. That's a sin against God. We are a nation filled with crime and violence and drug and alcohol abuse and sexual immorality and sinful behaviors condoned as free speech and personal liberty. And those who would call sin, sin are condemned as bigots. And we are where the word religious right is a curse word in politics today. If you're aligned with Jesus Christ, you're mocked in entertainment. And yet we call ourselves a Christian nation. It's not what we call ourselves. It's not who we say that we are. It's not what we say that we believe. It's how we live that matters. Amen? And we need to be living lives sold out for the Lord. I would venture to guess that this is true in our country. That for every time someone praises our Savior's name, ten people curse it. And yet we call ourselves a Christian nation. Guys, we got to go beyond what we call ourselves. We ought to be so on fire for God, we never have to tell anybody we're a Christian. They'll look and go, dude, what's up with you? Ma'am, what in the world is up with you? What, what, why are you like you? Because I've got Jesus Christ in my life. 
I'm a new creation. I'm born again. I was once lost and now I'm found. That's who I am. I'm not just a hearer of the word, but I'm a doer of the word. Remember, this is written to early Christians, scattered through persecution, dealing with trials, enduring temptation, and they're being told that just to believe in God is not enough. They needed to live it. But wait a minute. If I live it, persecution's only going to go up more. Live it. Well, we've heard the word, and we're studying the word, and we're hiding out, and we're studying it, and we're hiding, but we don't want to go outside and be too bold because persecution may come. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. Jesus said that. Guys, we need to quit being undercover Christians. We need to quit hiding our faith. Believing in our heads is not enough. We need to be living it out in our lives. Even in the face of difficult circumstances, he's exhorting them to be doers of the word. And what about you and I this morning? Do you have a detached, distant belief with God? Do you come to church because somebody brought you? Sunday morning for an hour, I'll give it to him once in a while. You know, I want to just make sure in case there is a God, you know, you know, hey, I can point back to the video. I was at Calvary Santa Cruz. I was there. You saw me. Do we come and we live the rest of the week just like the world? Or are we truly new creations in Christ? Do we take what we hear and do we apply it to our lives? God's called us not to just be hearers of the word but doers? Do we see God's word as a mere history book that has little to do with us today? Or is it a surgical tool that God uses to daily conform us more and more to his image? Hebrews chapter 4 says this, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to divide the, dividing asunder the soul and the spirit and joints and marrow and as the discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Guys, when we only read God's word and we don't do what, it's, what, what it says, it's like going in for surgery and never allowing anyone to touch us. We go under the anesthesia, we lay in the bed for two days, we never go into the surgery, and we go home, and you know what? Our lives won't change. Guys, we need to allow God to do some surgery in our lives, amen? Open ourselves up and say, Lord, I want to read your word, show me. If there's a wicked way in me, reveal it to me. If there's something that needs to change, Lord, show it to me. Lord, I want to be more like you. I want to be conformed into your image. Lord, help us to move beyond belief in our heads to behavior in our daily lives. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, the Word of God is a mirror into our hearts. It reveals where we've fallen short. It shows us where we need to change and be conformed to His image. The godly response to reading the Word is more than just acknowledging it in our heads, but acting upon it in our lives. The Word should more than educate us, it should transform us. Amen? We don't just read like a history book to find out little things. Guys, whenever I share the Word with you, many of you have taken the class. We use a thing called inductive Bible study. I'm giving away the secret. Now you can all teach. That's good, though. That's what it should be. You observe the word. What does it say? You interpret the word. What does it mean? You apply the word. How do I respond? So as I'm going verse by verse through the Bible, if you listen closely, I'll tell you what does it mean, what does it say, then what does it mean, and then how do you apply it to your life? How do I apply it to my life? 
Observation, interpretation, application. Guys, it's key when we read the Bible that we look for the application to our own lives. If we only observe and interpret, we'll never grow. We'll, get, we'll have a lot of knowledge in our head, but no transformation in our life. The Word of God is a taskmaster or a schoolmaster that leads us to the cross, it says in 1 Corinthians. So we know that the Word of God reveals to us our sinfulness. It truly is like a mirror. And it says here in this verse that it's like a mirror. It's not enough to hear the Word. We must be doers of the Word. If we hear the Word and we do not apply it, it won't take root and it won't have any impact. And it's said there in verse 24, For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgot what kind of man he was. Guys, if we only allow the word of God to reveal my flaws, but I take no action, I will soon forget what the word revealed to me. I read the Bible, and oh, that's kind of convicting. But then I just go and live my life. And I don't change anything. I don't allow the word of God to take root and have impact on me. Mirrors like the word reveal the unvarnished truth of the situation. Holds nothing back. On the one being examined. Think about the mirrors in your own house. You know, most of us got up this morning. And probably the first place you went was into the bathroom. And you looked up in the mirror to assess the damage, right? (laughs) Okay, what happened last night, right? Hair and makeup and, ah, right? Puffy eyes. Hair growing all over the place if you're a guy. The only place I can't grow hair is on my head. You got ear hair. No, you yeah, just got hair. And you get up and you kind of look at yourself. And, and you know what? There's no way in the world you're running out of the house like that, right? You look in the mirror and you think, I got to fix, fix this. You know, you look in the mirror, you examine it. You go, oh, I got, I got no, uh, you know, you trim the nose, the thing, and you shave and, you know, put some goop down to hold down the five hairs you got left and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And we do all this stuff, and we, you know, brush our teeth, you know, make sure there's nothing sticking in there, and, you know, we want to, you know, and then we go out the door. Now, imagine if we walked, and we looked at the mirror, and then we forgot what the mirror looked like, and we just left the house, and all day long, we had no idea what we looked like. Other people would probably tell you. But here's the point. That's the point he's making here is that's what this foolish man does. He looks at the mirror of the word of God, but then he ignores the work that needs to be done. He ignores the transformation that needs to be made. And he just goes out and forgets about what he saw in the mirror. He just walks around all day with spinach stuck in his teeth or whatever. He just goes on living that life. And that's the point he's driving home here is that we look into the word of God so that God might do surgery on us. We look into the word of God that we might be transformed, we might be conformed to the image of his son. Guys, we don't read the Bible as just a history book or a guidebook. Again, we take the word of God and use it to minister the truth, to open our eyes to those things that need to change. Again, it describes the person that in a spiritual sense looks and assesses the fact that they're, they're a mess. They're disheveled and things need to change. Without a mirror to remind them, they'll forget their need for a makeover. And guys, we all need a spiritual makeover, amen? And God's word reveals the truth. It reminds us of our shortcomings. It helps us to take the necessary steps to get things in order. It's a constant reminder that we need to do more than observe, but apply the needed changes of God's word. 
A healthy person looks in the mirror to do something, not just to admire the image. And as we step away from God's word, we are prone to forget our desperate need for him. Guys, we need to be in the word every day as a constant reminder every day of the things that need to change in our own lives. Amen? Now, we're born again, we're going to heaven. We're adopted into his family, we're not working our way to heaven, we're already going. But, that being said, don't you want to walk in such a way that people see Jesus in you? Don't you want to be conformed more to his image? Don't you want to be just in intimate fellowship with him and anything that gets in the way, remove it? And that's what the word of God does. Verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this is the one who will be blessed in what he does. Notice how he refers to the word of God. I love this. The perfect law of liberty. When people think of law today, they don't think of liberty. They think of bondage. Isn't that true? Oh, they passed another law. Oh, man. Right? More laws, more bondage, more restriction. But guys, the law, the word of God brings freedom. Amen? Not bondage. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen? And it doesn't bind us up. Galatians 5 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which Christ has made us free, and do not be tangled again with the yoke of bondage. When we don't walk in the word of God, we are bound to our sin. We are bound to the things of this world. But when we walk in that perfect law of liberty, empowered by the Holy Spirit, empowered by his word, he carries the burden for us. The Bible says, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Guys, I want to enter into his rest. How about you? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Walking in obedience to the Lord and his word. Being a doer, not just a hearer. It doesn't bind us, but it frees us. Notice the word there, beginning of the verse. It says, He who looks into the perfect law of liberty. To look into literally means to get down on your hands and knees and to, to focus intently upon it. When was the last time you did that with the Word of God? Really, I don't mean just read, you know, give God the last, you know, okay, I'm falling asleep, it's, you know, I'm tired, oh yeah, I didn't read my chapter today, and you get the thing out, and you're kind of trying to read it, and you read the same verse like eight times, you still don't know what it says. And then you find yourself in the morning, you know, drooling on your Bible because you fell into it. Guys, we need to give God our undivided attention, amen? Not the end, of, and again, I'm not saying you shouldn't read your, you should read your Bible, that's a good place to read it, but guys, we need to give God undivided attention. We need to give God when we're, when we're the most alert in our day, the first fruits of our day, and that's what it says here, he looks into it with, with a deep penetration, examining it, to bend over to get a better look. So while James is expressing doing, right? Be doers of the word. Notice he does not downplay studying the word. Be doers of the word, but the only way you can be a doer of the word is to be a studier of the word. Amen? And he's saying here, get into it. Dig deep into it. Examine it closely that it might impact you. So note the progression. He looks into, he examines it intently. The perfect law of liberty, the word of God. So he examines intently the word of God. Then it says he continues in it, both looking into it and then faithfully responding. And notice what happens. He becomes faithful and obedient. Not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. And then what's the end result? This is the one who will be blessed in what he does. There's a joyous blessing in obeying God. Amen? 
The highest form of worship is obedience. When we obey him, he is glorified. So now James is going to finish up this chapter after speaking about walking in obedience to the word of God, about studying it deeply. Now he's going to give them a couple of practical applications of what it means to be a doer of the word. Let's look at the last two verses here. And it says there in verse 26, speaking of true religion, having power over the tongue. We'll look at this more in depth when we get to chapter 3. It says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. The Bible says you can study the Bible all day long. You can go to church seven times a week. You can walk around with a Christian t-shirt on, Christian stickers on the back of your car. You can give to every ministry that exists. You can do all of those things. But if you go to work and you've got a foul mouth and a bad attitude, your religion is useless. That's what it's saying, isn't it? Your faith that I've been relinked to God, but no one would ever have a clue if they listened to me speak. Remember back last week it said that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's a good reminder, isn't it? Don't you feel yourself when you're about to let go of some wrath? Anybody else besides me, do you know what's coming? You, it starts in your feet, right? Whoa, it's coming, right? That thermometer, is the boiling point is coming. And you're about to lash out, and you know it. And that's when you need to stop and say, Lord, help me. Because... Five words spoken in anger can blow five years of testimony. You can lash out at somebody at work. You can blast them. You can belittle them. You can speak in a harsh or demeaning way. And you know what? Your testimony is destroyed. And what he's saying here is anyone thinks he's religious, anybody who thinks, and this is in a good term. He's not speaking, he's speaking of religion in a good way. Anybody who thinks he's walking with God and he does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Lord, help us not to have a religious faith that is useless. The word bridle there means, speaks of control, to guide, to hold in check, to restrain. If you walk devoted to the Lord, but you don't have control over your tongue, you deceive your own heart, and again, your walk will be fruitless. Like the one who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what kind of man he is, so too is he deceived if he's outwardly religious, but his actions do not reflect the one, reflect someone who's truly walking with God. Your walk with God is useless if it does not translate into the way you live and the way you treat others. Again, all those religious rituals in the world mean nothing if we don't live it outside these walls. Amen? People are watching. Let's live in a way that God would be glorified. Be a doer means to be being more than religious. It means your faith is impacting our behavior. Down to the simplicity of how we talk to people. Do we live in a world where people just rip on each other or what? And our speech should be seasoned with salt. It should bring thirst to people. They should want to know more after talking to us. We should speak with such love and grace and kindness. And again, we'll see more of this when we get to chapter 3. And we'll see just again that while the tongue is a small member of our body, as it says in chapter 3, it can, you know, like a small rudder can steer a huge ship. And our, this little member right here can blow the testimony completely, can steer us so far off course. And guys, if we're walking with God, if we're to be doers of the word, we need to bridle our tongue. And again, he's speaking to those who are enduring great persecution. 
they could have easily found a great deal to complain about. Lord, I gave my life to you. I lost my house. They chased me out of town. Now I'm in hiding over here. I can't get a job. If I go to get a job, they're going to find out I'm a Christian, and they're probably going to kill me. I've seen some of my family and friends killed and harmed. Lord, I've got a lot to complain about. And he says, you know what? Let your speech be seasoned with salt. When you go out, you speak in a way to bring glory to my name. Bridle, grab a hold of your tongue. Be a doer. A lot more about our attitude and actions than keeping a bunch of religious rituals. Last verse. And look what it says here. Speaking of true, true religion. He's going to define pure and undefiled religion. If you've never heard this verse before, this is not what the world would say religion is. And the sad part is because many people who would call themselves Christians do not portray religion as being this. It's a bunch of rules and rituals and formality. But watch what it says in this last verse. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. There it is. Pure and undefiled religion is to do what? Minister to those in need and keep yourself unstained from the world. Minister to the world but have no fellowship with it. Reach out to the world, love on the world. It reminds me of when they came to Jesus and they tried to trip him up. Some of the Pharisees of the day, and they said, which is the greatest commandment, good teacher? And they figured whichever commandment he picked, they would bash on him because some people wouldn't like it. Oh, I thought this was greater. I'd like this commandment better. I think this commandment's better. They're trying to divide his followers. And what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And they couldn't argue with that. Guys, they shall know us by the love we have one for another. Pure and undefiled religion is to look and see someone in need and to reach out in Jesus' name and minister to them. Amen? Too often we're being so religious and so, you know, we want to get into a 27-hour theological argument when sometimes the best thing we could do is go next door and bring them a plate of cookies. Amen? Go next door when the guy's had surgery and mow his lawn. Just go and reach out and love them in Jesus' name and then watch the opportunity you have to share with them the hope that lies within you. Pure and undefiled religion is to what? It is to minister to those in need and to remain unstained from the world. The word undefiled is unsoiled, far removed from every kind of contamination the word pure there is clean blameless free of corruption before god guys it's what god sees that matters it's not what man thinks pure and undefiled religion is that's irrelevant what does god say that it is and there's the verse you just read it there's a great deal that is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of men but here we see the heart of god helping the needy reaching out to those who are hurting i want to say this please don't take this wrong It says, help the needy, but not the lazy. Amen? Some people say, well, Pastor Dave, I have a need. How long has it been since you worked? Well, I've been looking for a job for about 14 years now, and I just haven't been able to... (laughs) The Bible says a man who does not work shall not eat, right? Amen? So the point is, it's reaching out to those who are truly hurting the orphans and the widows. You've got to understand, in those days, there was no social security. There was no welfare. 
If a, if a woman's husband died and she was at a certain age, she would never be married again. There would never be someone, anyone to take care of her. And the church was to come in and to reach out to her in love and take care of her from that day forward. Same true of the orphans. Guys, we need to be reaching out to those who are truly hurting and minister to them in Jesus' name. And then lastly, it says to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that pure religion in God's eyes is reflected in how we relate to people and how we care for those who are struggling and how we relate to the world, ministering to it, but not having any fellowship with it. Guys, the focus is not on self-righteous or pious attitudes, as Christians, we shouldn't be walking around holier than thou, pointing fingers at people. We preach the gospel and we don't apologize for it, but do it in love. Amen? We don't water down the gospel to make it more acceptable. We ought to shout it from a mountaintop, but people ought to see the love of Christ in us when we're sharing it. Amen? And we proclaim the truth. We do it in love. We don't draw attention to ourselves. We point everybody to him. We minister to others in Jesus' name while not being conformed to this world. Not becoming like the world to minister to them, but continuing to walk with the Lord so that we can minister to them. Guys, everything I've said today is impossible apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Without Him, you can do nothing. It's not go home now and write a list of things you're going to try to do harder. You know what it is? Go home, crack open the Word, surrender to Him, and watch what God does. You give your life to him, he will do great and awesome things. He'll do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. So what is true religion? What's God's definition? If we're truly walking with him, we need to lay aside wickedness and instead receive the word. It can only be filled with one. Let's put the word there, not the wickedness of the world. We need to be doers of the word, not hearers only. We need to take what we, what we receive on Sunday and Wednesday and every time we open up the Bible at home and now go live it out in the world. The Dead Sea is dead. Why? All inlet, no outlet. Guys, we don't just get fed, get fed, get fed, get fed. We need to leave this place and take what we've been ministered and go out and minister it to others. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. A true sign that you're walking with God is you have control over your tongue. You don't lash out in anger. You certainly don't curse his name. But out of your mouth ought to come words of encouragement and love and grace. And lastly, pure and undefiled religion is to help the needy and to keep ourselves unstained from the world's corruption. You know what? We are so blessed to be living in the days that we live because we are closer to the return of our Savior than anyone else has ever been. And guys, as his redemption draws near, may, we, may he find us busy about his work when he comes back. Amen? Help us, Lord, to live in a way that brings glory and honor to your name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that while you give us clear instruction that you never call us to do anything, that you don't equip us to do as you empower us by your spirit. So I do pray and ask, us, ask Lord, you would help us to lay aside the sin and the wickedness of this world, not to condone it, not to say that it's okay, but Lord, instead to be filled up with your word, to walk in the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be doers of the word, not hearers only. 
Help us to bridle our speech, Lord, not to speak words of hatred and anger and bitterness, but Lord, I pray when we open up our mouths that your words would come out. And then, Father, I do pray that we would see the world through your eyes, that we would love people the way that you do, that we'd give people a cup of cold water in your name, that you might be glorified. And Lord, that we would not be conformed to this world, but Lord, we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we walk in the fullness of your spirit and we feed upon your word. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. We pray for this county. Bring revival here. Start in our lives first. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.